The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can ext- extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the ministry of the gospel, for which, I'm, which, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't done so already, that would be great. Uh, if you're using one of those Bibles from the back, where it's on page 1107. If you're not sure where that is in your Bible, uh, go to the contents page and look for Ephesians, or head towards the back. If you uh, see the word, books like Romans and Corinthians, go right. If you see books like Hebrews and uh, Revelation, go left. Um, Ephesians is kind of sandwiched in between those ones. Uh, the, the big numbers on the Bible are the chapter numbers, the small numbers, the verse numbers. But all those words are going to be on the screen behind me while I preach anyway. So we're going to be spending seven weeks studying Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Uh, seven weeks in that. And so let's, let's pray. Father, we ask for the, uh, your blessing over the, the, the preaching of your word this morning. We ask that you would help me as I preach, Lord, to speak with clarity and uh, with wisdom. Father, we ask that you would give all of us teachable, uh, malleable hearts as we hear your word. Lord, where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us? Where we need to be challenged, would you challenge us? Would you teach us this morning, Lord? And above all things, Lord, draw us closer to yourself. Holy Spirit, direct our eyes to the wonder and beauty of, of, of the cross, the wonder and beauty of the gospel, the wonder and beauty of the salvation message, that though we did not deserve it, you died for our sins. You made us right with our heavenly Father, Jesus. Thank you for your word, Lord. Amen. When was a time that you needed to be brave? Kids, maybe uh, you've been on the way to the doctors, and on the way to the doctors, your parents have said to you, oh, by the way, you're getting the needle, you're going to need to be brave. When was a time that you needed to be brave about something? In 2005, some friends and I went to New Zealand on a bit of a trip, and uh, towards the end of our trip, we decided to go bungee jumping from the AJ Hackett uh, Nevis Bungee Jump in Queenstown. The Nevis Bungee Jump is the uh, second highest in the world and the longest free fall. And I was about 18 or 19 at that stage and I thought it was a fantastic thing to do. I still think it's a great thing to do. It was heaps of fun. But we had to be brave. And we booked it in and in, in the two days leading up to the actual jump, we started to get very, very anxious. We started to get very, very nervous about this. Uh, there was a, a definite sense of uh, anxiety in our group of friends in the two days leading up to it. And on the morning of the actual, the actual jump, we all woke up and we were all pretty quiet. We didn't say much. And then on the bus ride there, we were all silent, just, just nervous, waiting for this bungee jump to happen. 
When we got there, we found out that uh, we would be going in order from heaviest to lightest, which means that I was going to go first in front of all my friends. And the AJ Hackett Nevis bungee jump is actually not off a, uh, not off a bridge or anything like that. It's off a, uh, you can see in the picture, it's off a, a ruin that's suspended by, by steel wire between the tops of two mountains. And so the way you get out there, you hop in this little steel cage and they just kind of ferry you out there and it's very scary and it's all kind of wobbling, there's wind and you can't believe how much this whole thing is moving. It's this big swing and uh, you hop out there and you can't really tell from those pictures. Well, actually, these pictures are a little bit misleading. Those are more recent pictures. So in those pictures there, the floor is all timber, but when I did it, that floor was perspex. So everywhere you looked, you were always looking down. And we got out there and we were all trying to be really brave and be really tough in front of everybody, but I was very nervous. And uh, they, they strapped the rope to my ankles. They led me to the edge of it where you kind of, there's this little walk the plank thing. You step towards the edge. Three, two, one, bungee. And I had to sum up all the bravery in, I could muster into every fiber of my being to jump off the edge of that. And obviously I survived. I, I did okay with that. It was good. Um, to my mother's dismay, I actually passed out. As I jumped, I don't have any memory of jumping. I just have a memory of suddenly falling, like, where am I? And that was the, I was doing that. That was quite scary. But I had to be brave. And that's the point. When was the time that you had to be brave? There are two reasons why any of us would ever need to be brave. The first reason is that there is something coming against us that is bad or that is scary. Something that's coming towards us that we need to be brave about and the second reason why we would need to be brave is simply because we can't get away from that. We can't run away. Like if we had to run away, if we got to run away, then we wouldn't have to be brave. And that really is the essence of the words in Ephesians 6.13 where Paul says, stand firm. We are called to stand. That means not run away. And we are called to stand firm against the thing that is coming towards us. And that idea of standing firm and being brave underscores the text that we're studying for the next seven weeks. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20 is famously known for Paul's teaching on the armor of God. So why would we spend seven weeks looking at the armor of God? The simple answer is because in many ways, life is made harder by putting our faith in God and we need to stand firm. What I mean by that is we are living in a time when it is not popular to be a Christian. Our world does and will increasingly oppose God and those who follow him. And not only of that, but life is just hard. Take away the unpopularity of following Jesus and there's still bills. There's still cancer. There's still broken relationships. There's still tooth decay. There's still stress, there's still anxiety, there's still unmet expectations, there's still trials and troubles. There's still stubbed toes in the middle of the night. There's still pain and trial in our life. And the message and the goal of this series is to show what God has done to protect us from the effects of the hardships of life. And note that I didn't say how God, that God shields us from the hardships of life. Because God promises no such thing. What the armor of God is for is to protect us during the hardships and to keep us from falling away from God our Father. So today is a bit of an intro to this whole concept. Today we're not actually looking specifically at the pieces of armor in the armor of God. We're going to spend more time on that in the weeks to come. 
Today, uh, we are really just kind of looking at a bit of an intro and seeing what this actually looks like. The title of the message is Spiritual Warfare, and the main point is this. God wants us to stand firm and be brave to live the lives that he wants us to live. That's the main point. God wants us to live gospel-centered lives, which means lives that are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ more than anything else. But there is an enemy. There is an evil one who doesn't want us to live gospel-centered lives and who wants us to forget that God loves us. God sees this, he knows this, and he wants us to shield us, shield us from that enemy. Now, if you've joined us today and you are not a Christian, you might be asking the question, well, why doesn't God take away the hardships altogether? Like, why doesn't he just take away the pain? Why doesn't God stop bad things happening to good people? And that's a great question. And there's not one simple, easy answer for that. The truth is that discerning the purpose behind our pain is difficult. But we know this, growth only comes through pain. Growth only comes through pain. Kids, some of you are going to experience this in the next few years. You're going to experience pain in your legs and pain in your body as your body grows. It's actually conveniently called growing pains. And those pains are going to be a helpful reminder to you that actually growth comes through pain. We know that God's purposes for us are good in the pain. And because his purpose for us is good to grow, his, his purposes are for us to make, be more, made more and more like Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes that can just really hurt. And so let's get into it. We're going to be looking only at the first few verses of our passage uh, for today and then the rest of the passage this week. So verse 10 to 13 is going to be our focus. Sorry, in the next few weeks. Verse 10. The very first word that we come across in this passage is this word, finally, which tells us that this is actually the climax of the letter. If we were to read Ephesians from left to right, from start to finish, we would have firstly heard about Paul, heard from Paul as he opened up to us the beauty and the wondrous bright secrets of the grace of the gospel, the mystery of God's gracious election of sinners, the wonder of our salvation and our future resurrection. That's how Paul opens the letter of Ephesians. We would have then seen how a gospel-centered life is loaded with divine power as we're made aware of our heavenly position, that the future of our, of our lives, that our peace with God, and our unity in the body of Christ. And then following that in the book of Ephesians, Paul then moves uh, into talking about the beauty of the gospel as it shapes our homes, creating harmony between husbands and wives, between parents and children, and between slaves and masters, and then slap Paul now talks about spiritual warfare. It seems out of place. But what Paul is saying is that if we are going to live gospel-centered lives, we, we are not, that's not going to be unchallenged. We've got to expect an enemy, the enemy of God, who wants to drive a wedge between us and God, and he wants us to forget that God loves us. And so Paul, in Ephesians 6.10, says, having, having said all that now, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. In other words, considering all that I've just told you about gospel-centered life, what you're going to need now is strength to live that life. So be strong in the Lord. It's like saying to someone, if you're going to climb that mountain, you're going to need fitness. You're going to need strength. If you're going to lift that weight, you're going to need strength. So how do we become strong in the Lord? 
Well, the answer to that question lies in the tail end of that sentence when Paul says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Has anyone ever said to you, be stronger? Just be stronger. It's not actually something that we can obey straight away. We can't just will ourselves to becoming stronger. It's like someone saying to us, be taller. Like, that's impossible. We can't actually do that of our own, of our own will. None of us can. And in the same way, being stronger in the Lord isn't something that we can just do on our own. So what is Paul getting at here? Well, a more literal translation is helpful. When Paul says, be strengthened by the Lord by the strength of, by the strength of his might. That's how uh, the, the CSB words it. Be strengthened by the Lord. It's a very strong sentence, isn't it? Full of strong words. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. It's a very strong sentence, and, and this is actually where the clue is. See, Paul uses three different Greek words to convey this idea of strength. And there's only one place in the entire Bible where those, wo- those three words are used together, and that's actually at the beginning of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And if you want to go back and read Ephesians 1 this afternoon, you would be edified by that. It's there that Paul expresses the great and unchallenged power of God that rose Christ from the dead. God used his power to raise Christ from the dead. And he says that God utilized that same power to save us from our sin, raising us from the dead. And so when he finds us dead in our sin, his mercy and love and grace towards us is so powerful that he raises us from the dead, from our deadness in our sin. He raises us from spiritual deadness. Kids, if you want to ask your parents a good question on the way home from church today, ask them this. Mum, dad, grandma, granddad, what is spiritual deadness? Ask them that question. I guarantee you're going to have a good, uh, good conversation in the car on the way home. So when Paul says, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast power, he's saying, if God's power can raise us from the dead, then his power can also help us, support us, encourage us, to, and strengthen us to live the gospel-centered life that we've been called to live. And this is critical to understanding what it means to be strong in the Lord. You see, if we're trying to be stronger in our faith without the power of God, it's like trying to be taller. It's impossible. If we think that growing in our faith is something that we do without God, then we're going to fail, and those kind of expectations on us are going to crush us. See, a wrong impression of Christianity is that we have to be really good before God will love us. That's the wrong impression of Christianity, that we have to try our hardest to be good, go to church more often, uh, to, we have to be better behaved, we have to do all these certain things. And then we bring a progress report of our sanctification to God and we say, look how good I've been, God, and hopefully God will love us a bit more. If you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe that's how you think of Christianity. Maybe that's what you think Christianity is. If that's you, I've got some good news for you. You are wrong. God is not waiting for us to be a better version of ourselves to love us. His love for us does not depend on how we act. His love for us depends on his loveliness. The fact that he is lovely, he loves us, he is the one who is faithful towards us. See, to be strengthened by the Lord, by the strength of his might, is to recognize that we have no strength of our own and that God loves us so much that he raised us from the dead. 
He raised us from spiritual deadness. It's his strength. It's his love for us that we are strengthened by. And he does that for his glory. He didn't do that so that, uh, he didn't do that because we are lovely. He did that so that the world could see his glory. In 1987, the proclaimers, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's gonna come in a second. Be, to be strengthened by the Lord, by the strength of his might, is to recognize that we have no strength of our own to save ourselves, to, to be better at being a Christian. This verse rocked my world about a year ago. In the middle of COVID, there was a whole lot of stuff happening, and I was going through a time of deep anxiety, some dark period in my life, and there was just a whole lot of happening, a whole lot of stuff happening that was making me feel very, very weak, like I couldn't actually go on. And I was on our couch this one particular night, probably the hardest night of it, <clears throat> and I was, uh, my heart was racing, struggling to breathe, crying, couldn't, couldn't feel, I felt weak, I felt utterly, utterly weak. And Kirsty sat down on the couch next to me and she read out Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And I suddenly understood what this meant. You see, God isn't saying, be stronger for God. This is, Paul isn't saying, be stronger for God. Paul is saying, be strengthened by God. Be strengthened by him, by the strength of his might. Friends, some of you have been, this past week has been perhaps the hardest week of your life. Some of you are wondering, how am I going to go on? Some of you have received bad news after bad news after bad news, and you wonder when you're going to get a bit of a break. Some of you are waiting for this particular thing to happen, for something to happen to take place, and you're wondering why it hasn't, whether that's a spouse or a career or kids, whatever it is, you're wondering why hasn't this happened for me yet. And some of you honestly don't know how you're going to get through if that's you, listen to this. God's not saying, be stronger. God's saying, be strengthened. By what? By the strength of his might. By the strength of strengths. By untold might. If God utilized his great power to raise his son from the dead, and us too, then what we've seen actually in the resurrection is his immense love for us. God spent his great power to make us alive because he loved us. And his love for us is what strengthens us. God's love for us is built upon the foundation of his everlasting and faithful, everlasting love and faithfulness towards us. So in 1987, the proclaimers sang, I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who would walk 1,000 miles and fall down at your door. And so almost as if God is saying here, I would raise my son from the dead so that I could raise each of you from the dead just to be the God who would raise sinners from the dead and put them at my right hand so that I could show off how rich my amazing grace is, so I could show off how rich in kindness I am. And if you can understand that that's who our God is, that he's the God who loves us, who utilizes his great strength for us, who spends the richest portions of his love on us. And if we can take that deep in our hearts, we're going to find the kind of strength that we need to be strong in him. God's love for us makes us stronger. That's verse 10. Verse 11. Paul has just said, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Now he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
And this is why, and this tells us why we need to be strong in the Lord. The key to understanding the armor of God is that God has called us to live in a certain way. He wants us to live gospel-centered lives, lives that are shaped by the gospel. And to help, that, help us with that, he empowers us to live that life. And now here in verse 11, he's saying to us, we're going to need protection to do so. Why? Because there's an enemy. And that enemy wants us to forget God's love for us. And it's here in verse 11 that we hear about the devil. And we're not going to spend too much time talking about uh, the devil too much today and the role, of function of, and role and function of Satan at this stage in our series. That's going to come in the next few weeks. I will, however, say this. Uh, kids, and actually parents as well, we're going to be talking about the devil for, the, for a few moments. And I'm really glad that you're here to hear this. The reason why is because it's, it's far better for us to be, be taught about who the devil is from God's word than from Hollywood, than from what movies we might watch. So it's really important that we actually pay attention to this. So briefly, here's a, here's a few things that we should know about Satan. Firstly, he's real. He's real. He exists. Uh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, how outdated, how quaint. These Christians still believe that. And if that's you, can I just encourage you to stick with us for these series? Because I think by the end of the series, you're going to come to realize that not only is he real, but his influence is far closer than we might think. The second thing we, learn, we know about the devil is that he's not as powerful as God in any way, shape or form. So God is omniscient, which means he knows all things. Satan is not omniscient. God is omnipotent, which means his power is infinite. Satan is not omnipotent. God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all at once. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not any of those things. In fact, the Bible is quite clear that the devil still comes under the dominion of God. God and Satan are not equal counterparts, as popular culture would have us believe. God against Satan is like a great warrior against a worm. The third thing we need to know about the devil is that he, he plans and schemes with a purpose of separating us from the love of God. That's his sole purpose. And the fourth thing is that the devil is going to lose. He has already, in fact, lost the battle. So what are these schemes of Satan that we must stand against? Well, his purpose ultimately is to get us to a point where we no longer trust in God. And he schemes to do this through a variety of different means, which we could sum up, which include and, and are, not not, are limited to distraction, discouragement, and doubt. These categories are obviously broad and they deserve a lot of nuancing, which we'll do over the next few weeks. But he aims to distract us from the, with, with the business and niceties of life. He aims to discourage us through accusations of sin against us. And he aims to cause us to doubt God's goodness. So Paul is very much aware of the devil and of his scheming plans. And so he tells the church, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against him. Now that little word, that is very important because that tells us the, put, the purpose of putting on the armor of God. And actually this purpose has two implications. The first purpose, sorry, the first implication is that by putting on the armor of God, we actually can stand against the, the, the devil. He can be resisted. The apostle James says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And here, Paul says that we are able to stand against the schemes of the devil, but only if we put on the whole armor of God. 
And the second implication is just that. By not putting on the whole armor of God, we will not be able to stand against Satan. If we ignore Paul's words here, then there will come a time where Satan's schemes will overrun us and we will find ourselves unable to stand against them. And this is why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. We can't leave anything out. We can't leave any of this stuff out. We can't leave a body part exposed or vulnerable to his attacks because he will do it. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, each of these things in turn, each of these six pieces of armor. We're going to be looking at each, uh, each of these over the next six weeks. Verse 12, Paul unpacks a bit more about the schemes of the devil. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, what Paul is doing here is he is helping us to understand the nature of the wrestle that we're part of. I don't think that what Paul is talking about is that, I don't think what he's saying is that there is no wrestle with flesh and blood, because there certainly is a wrestle with flesh and blood. But I think what he's telling us here is that behind what we can see, behind what we can hear, lies an evil force who wants us to no longer trust in God. And he will manipulate flesh and blood, what we can see and touch and smell, to separate us from the love of God. Now, a common question we will often have in these times is, well, how do we know if what we're experiencing is an attack from the enemy or not? That's a big question. And the simple reality is that we actually don't know. We don't know how the devil might be using a particular situation to separate us from God. Furthermore, I've, also, I've never found anywhere in Scripture that tells us that we should be spending too much time trying to discern, whether this, trying to discern the source or the purpose of our pain. What we do know is that Satan is clever and he shouldn't be underestimated. Sometimes his methods are clear and violent and obvious, as it was with Job, who by the design of Satan had everything in his life drastically torn away from him. Sometimes his methods are subtle and careful, like the deception of Adam and Eve in the garden. He manipulated them to doubt God's goodness, and he did so without much of a fight. But while Satan is clever, God is the one who is ultimately in control. God is the one who has won the battle, and God's purposes are good. While Satan's purposes and the pain are for our demise, God's purposes in our pain are for our good. An excellent example of this is in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul is talking about uh, the thorn in his side. We looked at this passage in the beginning of the year, and he talks about it being a messenger from Satan, but also that his weakness was God's grace towards him. See, Paul tells us also this in Romans 8 where he says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So while Satan's purposes are to tear us away from God, God's purposes are to make us more and more like his beloved son, Jesus Christ. When we come up against trials of any kinds, we must see them for what they are. So a good question to ask is, through this trial... Am I accepting the invitation to trust God at a deeper level, or am I being, attempt, am I being tempted to take, take the path away from God? Whether we're, it's pain that we're going through or the standard humdrum of life, we should ask this question, what kind of fruit is this producing in my life? Is this trial, is this pain that I'm going through, is that making me pray more, or is it making me pray less? 
Is this TV show that I'm currently binging right now, is that stirring up my affections for Jesus? Or is that like throwing a bucket of water on the flame of faith? Maybe we've got to ask the question, is this particular relationship, this friendship, is this good for my faith? Like, does this, does this friend, person actually encourage me in my faith? Or are they poisoning my faith? Is this career that I'm pursuing, is this distracting me from my relationship with God? Or is this setting me up to help build the kingdom? Is this pain that I'm going through, is that driving me deeper into community, into the community of God's people? Or is the trial that I'm going through causing me to neglect Sundays altogether? This is why Paul says it's not just against flesh and blood. The wrestle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, and against the evil spiritual forces. We've got to take note of the the repetition of that word against. It seems redundant until you realize it's actually not. They are relentless as they are clever. And our, our wrestle is deeper than just what we can see. We finally come to verse 13. Paul returns to that same imperative that we heard from him two verses earlier. It's almost as if he, uh, he anticipated someone objecting. Paul, this is ridiculous. What, what are you talking about all this Satan stuff? Isn't that just the stuff of myth and legend? No, says Paul. We do have a wrestle on our hands against flesh. And it's not just against flesh and blood, but against powerful beings who manipulate and scheme. So just in case we weren't convinced the first time, Paul says it again. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's a repetition of verse 11, but there's two key differences. The first key difference is the ability to, is the ability to withstand in the evil day. If you're reading an NIV Bible, it'll say this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. In other words, gear up before the day comes. Don't wait for the evil day to come. Don't wait until you're under anxiety, under the stress, being attacked from the devil. Don't wait until then before you gear up. Gear up now in preparation. Put on the whole armor of God. The second key difference is when he says, and having done all to stand firm. Those words which we started with at the beginning. This tells us that the gospel, living the gospel-centered life is not a passive life, but an active life. The Christian life isn't a prayer and then back to life as usual. The Christian life is letting the gospel shape and change every aspect of our lives. How does the gospel change and shape every aspect of our lives? Well, that comes by meditating on the gospel, meditating on God's uh, unconditional love for us, meditating on who God is and what he has done for us. We're having this conversation in our life group this past week. How does the gospel change the way I drive in my car? How does the gospel change the way that I raise my kids? It does it like this. I have been given everything I need in Jesus Christ. He has solved my greatest problem by dying on the cross in my place, by taking the punishment for my sin and becoming, by becoming the victorious king in my life because I could not overcome my sin. And I, I, make a horrible, I do a horrible job of being king of my life. Putting on the armor of God, therefore, and allowing God to shape my life means that because I've got everything in, that I need in Jesus Christ means that nothing can be taken away from me anymore. So when my patience is tested by drivers, other drivers in the road, who aren't driving to my wonderful standards, when my kids are testing my patience, 
when all those things, what, what I'm actually afraid of is that someone's going to take something from me. But the gospel tells me I actually have everything I need in Jesus Christ and that can't be taken away from me. And now I'm freed up to not think about me and the things that I need because I've got everything I need from Jesus Christ. And if that can't be taken away from me, then I can actually now utilize my concern for my life, now turn that outwards and start being concerned about other people. I can live, a, live in a gospel-centered life means I'm not so much concerned about myself anymore because of how much Jesus was concerned about me. Living the gospel-centered life means thinking about the gospel, understanding the gospel, reminding ourselves all the time of the gospel, chewing on the gospel, meditating on it, letting our hearts be marinated in the good news of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins, that though we did not deserve it, he came and laid his life down for us on the cross and he gave us new life. He made us right with God. He reconciled us to God, our Father, and made us righteous in his eyes, which means there's going to come a day where we stand before that great judge and he's going to look at us and he's going to say, righteous. He's going to look at us and he's going to say, that person, he or she is in Jesus Christ, which means whatever is true of Jesus Christ is true of us on judgment day. And if our faith is not in Jesus Christ, then on that day of judgment, we are going to have to stand for, we're going to have to make an account for our own sins. That's what the gospel is. And that frees up this life like nothing else. That frees up this life, that frees us up in this life to be generous, to be loving, to stop caring about ourselves, to stop, to stop being so introspective that all we care about is ourselves and what happens in our lives. It frees us up to care for others. He's calling us to live a gospel-centered life. He's given us strength to do so. And now he's going to tell us, and what we're going to learn over the next six weeks is what he's done, what, what, how we are to do that by putting on the armor of God. And as we put on the armor of God, we will ready ourselves to live gospel-centered lives in the face of an enemy who seeks to destroy us. So, put on the armor of God. Stand firm and live brave. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.